Hello and welcome to Scott Rock, where your hosts from Climb Scotland, Robert McKenzie, and me, Cal McBain, catch up with climbers every two weeks who have different epic tales to tell us. We hope you enjoy the show. And remember, when you're out climbing, be safe and do your buddy check. How long do you think it's going to be before Adam Andres starts getting sponsored by like baby food and baby clothing? Is there not? So someone says to me, "Did you not use?" He's got a kid. He has to be sponsored by something. He used to be sponsored by the cricket protein thing. No. Yeah. Did I know about, was that me imagining that? No. no, that was the cocaine one. Yeah, cocaine. What yeah, climbers cocaine. Yeah, because climbers did like a wee thing on it because it was like, "Hi, I'm Alamondra, and this is my cricket thing." But um, he did like a climbers version where it was like, "Hi, I'm Alamondra, and recently I tried cocaine." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like because because the cricket powder was like it wasn't really it didn't really look like cocaine it looked like heroin to be honest kind of like brown. All oh, right. Yeah. Speaking from experience, then. No, but I just know the heroin is more of a goldy brown colour, isn't it? Golden brown, texture like sun. <laughs> anyway, should we just get on with this? Oh yeah, I'm definitely going to have to cut all that. David, are you recording this? Yeah. Fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to have to cut Oh that. my god. That's, that's... Man, delete that right now. <laughs> no, leave that for blackmail. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Yes, right, okay, <clears throat> serious. We are back uh, for the third iteration of the controversial podcast with Cal McBain, Becca Drummond, and oh, I was going to steal your joke, Robbie Phillips. <laughs> I was going to do it. Uh, I'm trying to be serious and I can't do it. You actually forgot someone. Who did I forget? Well, Robert, me, Callum, Becca, nice. Robbie. There is our fifth human at the table. Our fifth <coughs> human at the table. Baby Roo. Baby Roo is going to be the most energetic of uh, hosts. There we go. Yeah. And that's good. More responsible for unusual noises that might come up throughout the podcast. Mm, it could be a toss up. Any weird noises could be Roo or Robbie. Right. right so we are. What's uh, the Scott podcast? Scott Rock podcast. Third, uh, third version of the. This is the third controversial podcast. I've, I've, yeah. I've only been in one. I've only one. No, you were in both two. of them. Well, I'm in two of them. Yeah. Oh, I didn't remember. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is this will well this should have been sorry episode thirty, but it will officially be episode thirty two. I think. Okay. Yeah. So we're a little bit behind on this one. Uh, and given the feedback last time that we weren't controversial enough, I'm hoping that we picked controversial enough topics. Uh, and if it's if the topics aren't controversial enough, then we're just going to shout swears at each other until someone's pissed off. That's the way it's going to work. Uh, Robbie, you're going to kick us off. What is your first question? So my question, my controversial topic, surrounds the world of digital media in the climbing world. So social media and video platforms are increasingly rewarding certain kinds of content. Generally, they're shorter, snappier, more consumable content. And my question is, are we in an age of fast food climbing content where this content hooks you in, is easily enjoyable, but leaves you hungry for more? Do we need a more nutritionally rich and substantial content diet, much like our own nutritional needs as human beings? We need fiber, protein, and fats. Do we need to inform, educate, and entertain whilst uh, creating content for social media and online platforms? 
That was like sitting in front of YouTube watching one of your videos. <laughs> you should get a job at the BBC. Yeah, that was, that was really good. Six o'clock news. <laughs> six, o'clock, six o'clock news, Robbie Phillips. <laughs> My own question feels very inadequate now. <laughs> well, come on, guys. Before yeah. I forget what I actually said there. <laughs> Basically, is Instagram the devil in terms of climbing? Well, it's not necessarily is Instagram the devil. It's like... Because I've I've always felt that there is some content that feels very wholesome. It uh, portrays climbing in a in a sort of natural way. Are you talking about your own channel? This, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, we use mine as an example of what the peak of wholesome content is. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to mention other names, but um, no, but I I do feel like that there is that sort of content that is a bit more wholesome and more you know natural, and then. You get other channels, which I feel they tend to repurpose a lot of original content. So their, their actual content isn't original. They repurpose it and package it into something new. Uh, it's generally quite like fast paced, gets to the point quick. It's very digestible, but sometimes I feel it maybe only satisfies the entertainment side of, uh, of things. It doesn't necessarily inform or educate. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that it always portrays climbing in the best light. And I, I often think that, you know, with beginner climbers uh, or younger climbers who are spending a lot of time online watching climbing videos, uh, consuming this content, it is going to, I guess, it, that's that's what they're going to think climbing is, is this sort of stuff, you know? And um, I, I don't know, I just I have felt for some time that perhaps maybe that is the sort of fast food fast uh no, it doesn't make climbing more accessible to the masses then you said it was <clears throat> easily digestible <clears throat> which it'll show up in like a wider variety of people's feeds mm-hmm. and could make climbing look more appealing to younger people because on one end of the spectrum i feel like we've got Dave McLeod, mm. three-hour keto video. Then mm-hmm. on the other end of the spectrum, we've got a three-second reel about dinos mm-hmm. that you've like scrolled through. And for quite a lot of the younger demographic, that is going to appeal. The three-second reel is going to appeal a lot more to making people want to go climbing than the like three-hour video on placing gear. I guess. It, it depends on what the purpose of it is. Like, if you're trying to get more people into uh, into climbing, like, all these fast-paced things are going to reach that audience that maybe aren't climbers and digest it on reels and stuff on Instagram and maybe think that looks really cool and get into it. But it does completely miss the point of what climbing... Oh, God. I was Yeah, no, I'm going to say it. What climbing should be. You know, it misses all of the the passion behind it. It misses mm-hmm. all of the culture behind it. Well, well, that's that's kind of what I do feel. And it's not that I don't think that, that type of content has a place, but I feel that it is becoming more and more the majority. Um, and it, I, I, I'm, go- I'm going to argue that it shouldn't have a place. Because a... Well, it's the same as like fast food, right? I think fast food has a place. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And the majority of people don't have time to You've been to watching make... too many of Dave McLeod's videos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're not, I don't, I don't necessarily think that eating 
uh, a hamburger patty four times a day is necessarily <laughs> the best uh, nutritional value, you know, the best way to get your all your nutrient needs for uh, every day. But I don't think that having the occasional uh, hamburger out of McDonald's is the worst thing in the world. Um, so I guess, and, and I guess the other thing as well is a lot of these platforms are these, I guess, these uh, channels that are creating this type of content. The question I pose is, who are they making this content for? Why are they making it? Yeah, I, I feel that they're making it for higher likes, higher traffic, more engagement, um, so that they themselves can make more money, it's sell more product, get more marketing. Yeah, um, surely the like the format of the entertainment, whether it's like a three-hour YouTube video, a blog that's written words, or like a three-second reel. Is like irrelevant. It is like what the intention of that exactly. person is doing. Are they just Absolutely. doing it to sell their product or are they just to tell a story? Exactly. And I think that's a really interesting point to make because, well, TikTok as a platform is an interesting one because I have for quite a long time kind of hated TikTok because I thought that TikTok was largely just like people dancing and making silly <laughs> videos. And I was like, well, what's the point of that? But actually, there is quite a lot of interesting content on TikTok. A lot of creators who make very interesting uh, valuable informative uh, videos and so yeah I don't know I feel... it depends what's in the content like yes you can do short little clips that are informative you know like we, we me and Callum just created a bunch of like autobile videos that were under a minute long that teach you how to be safe in an autobile but there's far too much random <coughs> crap videos out there uh, like whipper media and all that that just show people falling off because it's the cool thing to watch. But see, but like, the intention there is they want to make money out of getting more views. Yeah. Because they sell adverts. Yeah. That's like how they make money. And the yeah. more people that watch, the more money they make. Their intention isn't to demonstrate safety about following. No, absolutely. And Whereas like, their also like, videos had, they were short. They were like, what you're talking about, that like fast food style of video. But the purpose of them was people are dying in autobiles. So we need to send out some kind of message that might stop yeah. someone dying. But like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, you can get short videos that are actually quite good, or you can get short videos that just show cool stuff that people might be entertained watching, and that is it. Not showing the culture of the sport, the history of the sport, mm -hmm. the <coughs> social side of the sport or anything. And like snowboarding, for me, is a really good example of like when Red Bull stepped into the snowboarding world and started all these like crazy competitions and big showcasey things and all this video content all it ever showed was the rad stuff the biggest tricks the biggest airs nothing about the culture of snow sports in any way mm -hmm. and it totally missed the point of people are getting into this for the passion of the sport now you're only showcasing people getting into it because they can do cool stuff and snowboarding has as a culture has taken a massive shift away and the more we showcase stuff like that in climbing the more we're going to lose that exactly and it's a very good point that you made about like the biggest the bad but most badass the scariest yeah and that is <clears throat> something you see a lot in youtube is that to try and get more people to watch they always title everything with the super superlatives yeah they go the scariest or the biggest fall or the most extreme and i will admit Early, early, I was like, early, early, I, I've, um, you know, I, I've, I think over the last three years, I've kind of gone through a bit of like a, a bit of a journey with YouTube, trying to understand 
like exactly how it is I create videos, what I'm creating videos to do, you know, how I promote these videos, what what it is I'm trying to, to do with them, yeah? And early on, you know, obviously you did some of those things where I was like, I titled the video like the biggest 50 footfall or whatever, you know? Cause that's what that I was thought. Video I was thinking yeah, cause that's what I thought. That's what you did. Yeah. That was YouTube. Yeah. That's that what was did. what YouTube. And so I realized, works. and I realized, but that's, that's actually not me, you know? And that's not, that's not actually claiming to me, you know? Yeah. So why am I doing this? I'm just following what everybody else is doing. So in recent times, the last sort of like year or so, I've changed it, you know? I'm trying to like create, I, what I would reckon in my eyes is probably more, more natural, more personal, um, I don't know, way of, of making videos and, and promoting them on YouTube. Uh, so yet yesterday, like I put out a new film <clears throat> on uh, my channel, which is uh, <laughs> which is uh, Robbie oh, Phillips' wow. uh, YouTube channel, oh, and you can watch oh. it. Uh, shut up, Robert. <laughs> I didn't. I I'm just gonna edit this out. It's no, shameless self. -promotion. What are you talking about? I'm not in. Five people are gonna listen it, to this. They got like the world's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like the, the biggest number you've ever seen. Well, it's got like a big section of gold climbing and I thought, I was like, you know what I could do? I could go, the... <laughs> That's what she thinks about you. <laughs> <laughs> you got seven channels. <laughs> Not another video, Robbie. <laughs> I've lost my train of thought, to be honest. Um, where was I? I feel like we're all kind of agreeing about too much here. Someone's I... got to fight the case for... So, but you're all wanting to... You don't like this kind of fast-paced stuff that's not showing the culture of climbing etc etc blah 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 but that's the culture of climbing in your <clears> eyes <throat> you only like content that shows the culture of climbing that you like that personally that you think that climbing is that what climbing is to you so if you see content that shows climbing in a different light what climbing is to someone else you don't agree with it basically mm -hmm. No, it's not that. It's just that I don't agree when people are monopolizing on that content to sell their own agenda. If they portrayed climbing the way you like it and they still made money from the ads, would it be okay? I don't like... It's not that I don't have a problem with people making money at climbing, but it's when people's only... The only reason they're doing that is purely to make money. There's no value behind it apart from stripping money off people by abusing the fact folk have a short attention span. Yeah. They don't have a story to tell, there's nothing behind it. They want money from ads and they'll do anything in order to achieve that. Yeah, and uh, I think, as I said before, a lot of these channels that are doing this are repurposing other people's content as their own. It's not original, yeah. It's not original. <clears throat> right, so. Like at least at least when Dave McLeod or me or like another one of the sort of like channels that actually just goes out and gets footage, it's actually just it's all our own footage. It's doing a disservice yeah. to them as well because you've went to the effort to go and film <clears throat> things and people are just essentially stealing that yeah. to profiteer off of it for no real, not adding any value into the world. Yeah, yeah You've exactly. added value into the world. I'm being nice to you, Robbie. Yeah. You've <laughs> added value into the world by going out and doing something which is difficult and then kind of showing it to other people. Yeah. You've yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree that's that's bad. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. bad. As making money off of somebody else's, else's work. But I think what Robert was talking about was that he doesn't like well, fast-paced like, consumable. But see, I, I don't I don't have something against it. I think, it's, as I said, it's like, it's part of it, you know? If it's part of a bit healthy, balanced diet, yeah? 
you can have a bit of fast food, but just not when everything's fast food. And I feel like the YouTube, using YouTube as an example, the trend, if you look at climbing channels, is to create stuff like this. And a great example actually is, I recently, I'm sorry guys, I'm gonna use my example again. But I recently made a film called Not A Hope In Hoi, you can see it on the YouTube channel, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, it's 15 minutes long. And I got told by several professional filmmakers that it's too long, that it shouldn't be longer than 20 minutes. And I was like, but the film's 50. And he was like, well, you've made it too long. And I'm like, why is that too long? Because I think that, that tells a story. We get told our podcast too long all the time. I'd agree, because you guys are shit. <laughs> it, should end, it should end far sooner. <laughs> but like you said earlier, like TikTok, you described TikTok, like you can make a good little informative clips on TikTok. But it, these little videos are lost in a sea of utter nonsense. And the more that that stuff gets put out there, the more it's diluting the, you know, the the culture image that we could be putting out there in videos <coughs> like yours, Robbie. Yeah, but it's really the, all the, the kids, kids, people that are coming into the sport and kids that are coming up through the sport. This is all they're seeing. This is all the information that they're seeing. And because those really informative bits are getting lost, their view of what climbing is is getting tainted a little bit. Yeah. So then when they are, you know, grown up and they can start considering themselves climbers, this is what their attitude to climbing is going to be. It's just going out there and doing the raddest stuff, the biggest dinos, pulling on the smallest holes. Not about, and it's not got nothing anymore to do about culture or the social side or the history of climbing. But you know, all those things are personal anyway. Like there's not some like collective. All those things are personal, but a, a sport only has a culture when there's a collective group that all follows that culture. But the, if you start more... ramming your culture down other people's throats, then uh, it's... <laughs> yeah, but that, that like culture that. has been built over generations of climbers coming through it and investing in it. When you've got a population that has been diluted by nothing more than who can do the biggest dino, then that, cult, that culture that was there gets <clears> to the point where it doesn't okay, exist. Okay, well, that's because it's supposed to, climbing's supposed to be kind of counterculture, but if everyone's, mm. and then suddenly well, the counterculture, then you, there's... It's no longer... Can I put another, another point forward? See the actual climbing in itself. Like, people went out climbing in the way they enjoy climbing. That's, that's fine, as long as it doesn't harm anybody else. But what's one thing I guess that's interesting to me is like what young climbers think being a good climber is. Now, in the past, being a good climber was going out climbing, putting up first ascents, or trying to climb the next hardest grade, or, you know, improving your own. A lot of climb, young climbers now think that being a good climber it's having a big Instagram following. Mm -hmm. It's having lots of likes on your like very curated uh, pictures of yourself, making sure that you have the right pictures of yourself climbing. And if they're not, if they're not climbing, nobody's going out climbing without a camera. Because would you ever go out climbing without a camera? No, because if it's not an Instagram, it didn't exist. Exactly. Being very like, I feel like we're being unforgiving to young climbers in a way. No, like, no, no. I'm not. I'm not saying like it, this is all young climbers. I'm just saying this is the. No, but they're not the, able to form their own opinions outside of Instagram. This is a journey that is young is that climbers. A serious point. Or? No, as in that is what we're the That's opinion we're that is, is, is <coughs> yeah. being given off that young climbers are not able to. Form. That's what I mean about sure. Like, we're yeah, not giving them enough credit. Like I don't think I'm young just climbers. Just using young climbers. I'm talking about climbers that are coming into the sport, whether they're adults or kids. You know, they're coming into the sport and yeah. this is the media that they're seeing and that is shaping their view of what the sport is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? 
So is your problem with the the media being short or the message behind the media? The message behind the media. So the reason it's being right, cut. theoretical, if we took all these clips you're talking about, like the short, attention spanny, fast food stuff, yeah. and it all suddenly changed overnight to being like purposeful and having messages, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have a problem with it. Not I, at all. Not I, in the slightest. And so it, you don't have a, it's just a problem with the, you don't have a problem length with Length of video makes no difference to me. It's what's in the content. It's the intention, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what's in the content that is the issue to me. The, the length of video makes no difference because, like you said, you can make really good, informative, short 30-second clips. You can't. It exists. Yeah. Do you know what the problem is? Is that you can't actually uh, control this sort of stuff. No. Because people, we we're, all, we're, all, we're all just humans. You know, we're all just, we, we're susceptible to this, all the same addictions, you know? And, like, you put on like this really fast paced content, like all the silly stuff that you see on like TikTok and Instagram, yeah. and people just get addicted to it. And uh, it's 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 impossible to get rid of, it's happening. But it's it's an interesting point and, to, to discuss. And before that, you go and watch the, the funnies on TV. You go and watch you, You've Been Framed, and I that was good. But the problem is but, that You've Been Framed was on at like one point in time of the day. Now yeah. you get it all the time on your phone. Yeah. So kids and young people and and you know they're just addicted to their phones. I think that coming back to your point, so we're talking about the intention being the problem. But like, I don't know about you guys, but I really struggle now with my own attention span to watch longer like videos or any form of media, whether it's written or visual based, that takes a longer amount of time. And I think like the actual shortness of videos is damaging in a way because it has like. I think it's definitely affected my attention span and made it worse. Yeah, so yeah. You're just being ingrained every single day into only being able to digest like mm-hmm. a short video. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the message in a way. I think there is an argument that really short videos are, I don't know if harmful is the right word, but they do change what you're able to process. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's like yeah, disagreeing with that. It's like, how do you change that? How do you? I think as long but as there's we just the get... long format stuff still out there, like, oh god, I love it when you find someone that's got a good blog still on the go and you get to actually read some like good stuff. Mm. Um Yeah. Final opinions on the topic. I can't even remember what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> like Re- repurposing yeah. every someone else's video bad. Yeah, um, I mean it's making money from somebody else's work bad. Creating content just to show some rad stuff with zero meaning behind it at all. I, I guess. I, I guess it's just yeah. the ultimate question is: Do we need a more nutritionally rich and substantial content diet, which is rather than like what we're potentially what the potentially woods leading down to, which is less and less longer form um, content and more shorter form, uh, less informative content. I think it's hard to disagree with. I think yeah. you should digest media of very different formats and lengths. I think it's only yeah. bad only watching short stuff yeah. because it basically fries your brain, right? Yeah. I don't know if that's a controversial question. I feel like that's maybe... We all kind of agree. Yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think you'll find many people that would argue against it. Okay. Well, let's move but on. Like, oh, yeah. I, with the the diet thing most people don't have time to like your general population aren't meal prepping on a monday for their nutritious meals for seven days a week like there is a way to make media that is good accessible to people and 
uh, yeah, I think there's a fine balance to be mm-hmm. to be met. Because people like this like this media quite obviously like watching short stuff. You should make yeah short stuff that is good and informative. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily bad. Okay, right. So, do you guys see a uh, a hypocrisy in climbers in general, sponsored athletes, businesses, whatever, going out to? Beautiful areas of the world, beautiful crags, uh, highlighting how beautiful these areas are, how amazing the climbing is, getting loads of content, possibly even making money off it, uh, and coming home saying that these places are amazing, but they're at danger of being uh, too popular, being destroyed with over-tourism, falling folly to all that entails. Uh, These places need to be protected after enjoying them ourselves like you know the simple example would be when we were coming up to the olympics and the old guard gatekeepers of the sport saying that the olympics is going to destroy climbing uh, the crags are going to be way too busy i want to be able to go to crags that are quiet uh, like we do you see a hypocrisy in wanting to preserve these places for our own enjoyment but not want to let the rest of the world no. enjoy it as well like I am, I am all for absolutely all for protecting beautiful places and making sure they don't get destroyed. But if we are, I, for me, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to be one of these people that's arguing this point, I cannot be one of the people that's going there. Period. <coughs> Thoughts. Surely, <laughs> given that logic, we should all just stay in our houses and never use any outdoor environment that we. Damage. Well, we don't do damage every time you do anything. You go walking, you go climbing. Mm. The safest way to not do that is to never leave your house. Yeah. But yeah. Like leaving your house, you've got to heat it, and then that's going to damage the environment. And so I, I, I think that we know. I think we can continue to encourage climbing in different areas, but I think that as climbers, we need to teach a responsibility when we're going to these places um, of say like crag etiquette as well but um i also have this feeling that we don't have to climb everything really interesting uh tim blake did a podcast with aiden roberts uh which just came out yesterday <clears throat> he's talking about Bobby Phillips plugging someone else other than himself and he's talking about um he was talking about these rare mosses that grow on boulders and how they um, are being destroyed by climbers cleaning boulders to death and that is something that um, I think happens a lot. We think as climbers that we need to climb every single part of a rock. You know, every single section needs to have been climbed. But actually often on say like a boulder or a cliff, there's maybe only like one or two actually good lines. Why do we need to climb everything? Why does every single section need to be cleaned and climbed out and brushed and bolted? It doesn't necessarily. Um, so I think if we're looking at how we, cl- we as climbers uh, moving forward want to take care of the places we're going to. Maybe it's teaching that not everything needs to be climbed. Maybe some things need to be left alone for nature to, to have its own place. How do, how do you decide? Say, yeah, as, long, how... as long as the one that's getting climbed is the, is the one that you want to do, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, qu- I mean, that's a question. I mean, I... <laughs> So, I mean, as a developer, yeah, because I, I would call myself a bit of a developer. I like going and doing new routes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when I go to climbing areas, I, I don't 
I don't look at like crags and think I need to develop every single section of this rock. I basically look at the main features that um, look obvious to climb. And I would be like, well, I think you know, the big obvious corner, you know, there, that beautiful arete, maybe that like nice crack going up there looks obvious and to climb. You know, maybe maybe not everything needs to be climbed. What happens if someone else comes along and says, I don't like look at that corner, it's a bit chossy, that yeah. ray, too bad. That corner's actually got really rare moss in the corner. I, I love the blank face, face with no features, and I love the slab in between well, those two things. Well, totally. I mean, like those are good questions. Talking about the moss, what about um, camel crack? Camel? The camel, yeah. The camel. You yeah. can't climb on parts of the camel yeah. because of the moss. Yeah. And I think that's totally legit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's been, that's been identified. Um, but surely the camel's an interesting one. <coughs> Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I think the bolts got put in and they did clean the moss off, the bolted bit. But someone came along and said, look, that's it. You can you can climb on what's been bolted, but nothing else. So in reality, if you take the hard line in that stance, all the bolts should be taken off mm. and the moss should be allowed to regrow. Mm. But there's an arbitrary point there where someone is like, we've put the bolts in and done it, but you just can't go any further. Mm-hmm. But like, we were using the you were using the argument there of uh, not everything needs to be climbed. Going to crowd and not thinking, oh, I need to develop more. Like we're just going to climb what's already been done or the 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 obvious line there or whatever. Like I think we've all done first ascents. We've all been folly to turn up at crags and going, oh, cool, this is totally unclimbable. I'm going to climb that big obvious feature. But you then climb that big obvious feature. Climbing in itself is a destructive act. Uh, even on a minute scale, it's still a destructive act. And then you record that somewhere. Someone else wants to go and try it. After a, a while, hundreds of people have gone up to that crag and created a path up to it. Like, just the impact of us going to a place and climbing a thing and then publicizing it or mentioning to the world that this has been done and this is the only route there, whatever, starts that ball rolling. Yeah, but maybe um, <clears throat> you can have, like, some crags where it's accepted that people are going to be climbing here. People, there's, a, there's, a, there's a trail that has maybe been purposefully built, mm-hmm. you know, so that people stick to the trail, so that we don't cause damage either side of the trail. What about the other crags? Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, you know, maybe this is something that we can look forward to, that we can look into, like we identify. I guess we, we do do it to some extent where there, there's certain crags, so triple SIs, so that <laughs> yeah. um, the camel is a site yeah. of, special scientific interest that's the definition yeah. of it yeah so someone else a non-climber has said look there's this rare species that grows here like it can't be damaged it needs to be preserved weem is a classic example of the little plant it's really cool like it grows out of the rocks and it's got little pink flowers and it's called sticky catchfly yeah and it's really really rare and you're not meant to climb in certain places there used to be a sign at weem a picture of the plant so there's obviously that exists already where there's some external group of people so botanists i guess are interested in plants who've said look we need to work together if you want to climb here we want to preserve the plant climb on these bits but leave these bits for this plant to grow mm-hmm. so it, i suppose it's not new there is compromises like that that exist mm-hmm. another classic example that you'll know about birds right mm-hmm. of course yeah. you don't climb during like nesting season that's all hoi thing wasn't it we tried it but well, it wasn't well, the right the tricky bit is the compromise <clears throat> isn't it because you could ask a botanist for their opinion you might say don't climb What's anything it? The, tr- the trick bit for me, and the reason I'm asking it is, you're saying that there might be crags where it's like, oh, this is, you know, we've built a path up to it, this reduces the damage everywhere else, we're going to have these uh, pre-existing lines, don't develop anything else, whatever. But 
what about the Canucks where it's like, okay, that's we've climbed this thing, that line exists, but we don't want that to get too popular because there is protected mosses or yeah. you know, nicely. But like we've then gone and done a thing, enjoyed it, publicized it, and But maybe in, yeah, yeah, but if you've if you've done that and then you find out afterwards, oh there's a rare moss there, you just adapt. You know, there's obviously gonna be some damage in it, but at least it's not gonna be continued. Mm-hmm. Or if you identify where the moss is and you know, you work with like the botanists or the, you know, um, the, whoever the governing body of uh, flora and fauna in the area. Who is <laughs> <laughs> the governing body for flora and fauna? I don't know. Anyway, you 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 know you you work with them to find out whatever work whatever suitable, you know, for this specific crag or this specific area. I guess the interesting thing that happens is what when you can't find the resolution where, I don't know. That's the difficult thing about that's it but you know like that's that's exactly it like don't find a resolution well nothing not not everything needs to be climbed you know there's enough rock you know in the world that we can we can accept and not climb some things true but yeah but there is some things that we have to accept we can climb yeah but i don't think that's a problem either i think it's just reducing our impact but you might have the hardline climbers like you're talking about that think everything that should be climbed we have the hard they're wrong well, <laughs> but what about the hardline bird watchers? I think every cliff should be like the domain of animals and insects. And no well, climbing. I think. Well, I think that I actually agree, but I think that I my my point is I think that we can do some things in harmony, you know. And in many ways, I think that this connection that climbers have to these natural landscapes, these really you know amazing places where you know animals live on the wall, or there are things there that it, again it. It, it strengthens that connection that human beings have to nature. It makes us more aware of our surroundings. It makes us more likely to make the right decisions in the future. I think that is. No, you're shaking my head. I don't like nature. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I want a I want a latte machine halfway up the, the route so I can get like a top up. You know, I actually, McDonald's at the bottom and uh... <laughs> Yeah. No, I was obviously I'm thinking of this, but <laughs> well, I think an interesting thing that I think Robert's question kind of alluded to is that we want these places to be quiet and this kind of like solitude and you know we're connecting with nature and blah 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 but then we post about it being quiet and it being beautiful and we would get pissy if it was filled with tourists yet we're still going there and making it not quiet i don't i don't see it like that like i honestly when i go to crags and they're really busy like i like like, it i really like seeing loads of people out there you see people post you see people post meast oh they're they're not (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) it's okay when they when they share the same values as you and they're there for climbing but they're not there for climbing then oh they're you know they're tourists you know where have you seen it happening then so you Nice, nice point. But again, like, like cars backed up or <clears throat> anywhere. And you think that's a direct result of climbers having promoted this? No, I think oh. it's t- tourism having promoted this. But we're we're also there being tourists, but just of a different kind. I think if they're the there, it doesn't. I, mean, I don't really have a problem with it. It doesn't matter if they're not climbers. Like, if they're there and they're enjoying whatever they're doing, I mean, yeah. I'd say it's probably a bit of a problem with it. So I have a problem with what? Of course, like, you have a problem with it what, because tourists? what what's going on at Nice with like. I said, I don't understand. Pub- I, don't, I don't know as the pub- Nice example. Um, well, so Nice Point out on Sky is a really good climbing venue. 
amazing climbing venue, but it's also a really popular popular place for tourists to go mm-hmm. because it's beautiful to look at. And are the tourists causing like obvious damage? Absolute chaos. The problem right. is what, the tourists. The, the, the problem back, is the back, behavior. Back cars. Like it's a little. They, it's like. Uh, Glen Etive. It's a little single track road. All the laybys are getting destroyed with parked cars all over mm. the place. The little car park at the end is forever full, and people are parking all over the place, trashing the grass. Mm. Um, the paths down to the place will, with the amount of people going down, it will eventually be eroded to hell and need fixed. Mm. Yeah, and this niche point is an example of how it starts and what you posted the other day about the potential risk down in coaching was this developer guy coming in and developing this area to allow more tourists is what he's doing is developing an area to allow tourists places to go so that they can come and enjoy it and the more that we go out and enjoy these places and publicize it the more people are going to see that the more people are going to want to go there Mm. and we don't want that to happen so we call for protections yet we call for protections while still going there and enjoying no, it no, ourselves. No, it's, it's not that we don't want more people to go there. I think that... I, so we're protecting we, we don't want, want to destruct the environment along with that. That's two different mm. things, though. Right? But if you well, wanted to protect the environment that much, then... You shouldn't you go there. Yeah. A, that's what I'm saying. This is a hypocrisy. And if you don't want too many people going there to the point where it's destroying it, then you shouldn't be one of the people that's going there. Anything you do in life is going to impact something. Like, you've just got to choose whether that impact is worth it. Driving around Nice on a quad bike, like also, tearing up the grass, isn't great. But if yeah. people want to go and enjoy a tourist spot, yeah. then cool. And if we're stopping people from going out and enjoying the outdoors, they're going to have less a connection with the outdoors. I mean, they're less likely to want to actually support environmental I'm, initiatives. I'm not saying that we should, Robert. Out, we should. I'm not saying that we shouldn't go out and enjoy these places. I'm saying, do you not see <clears> the hypocrisy in it? In calling for protection of these places, which is going to limit the amount of people that can go there or limit where people can go, yet thinking that we right. still have the freedom to go anywhere we want and develop anything that we like. Well, maybe maybe limiting or managing it is, is something that needs to be done for those popular venues. But you know what? I think there's a lot of places in Scotland where just nobody goes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I went, you know, one place I was playing recently was Ben Loyal, you know, went up there for a few days. So one person. As in one walker, you know. So those those these places that are always going to remain fairly wild and you know they're they're quite remote, so they're not going to be as popular. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just looking at how you manage those more popular places, allowing certain numbers of people. Maybe making a dedicated car park in some situations, you know, further down to allow it so there's not as many cars coming up. I don't know. This there's numerous ways you could look into it this is like an age-old argument though it's like okay ben nevis is a classic example <clears throat> like the tourist track up ben nevis gets trashed with people walking up it loads of litter it's like really everyone wants to play in ben nevis right that's the thing that people want to do so i guess what they've chosen to do there is accept that that is always going to be a problem of more people using that environment than it's able to handle but the trade-off is like there's loads of wild places like half an hour from ben nevis if you want solitude so you can kind of have both. There'll be places where they need to be managed, like Robbie says, to avoid like them getting trashed. But at least they're a honeypot, and it's not that those people are yeah. then spreading out and going everywhere. So both people can be happy. I, I get, and again, I'm not saying that people shouldn't go and enjoy it. I'm not saying that there's not solutions to the masses turning up to a place. I'm saying we're calling for protections while still feeling that we have the freedom to go and play and advertise everywhere that but we, we want. But we might not because. So the interesting example you put up for, for it was Cochmo, right? Yeah. Cochmo is in 
southern Chile, it's in yeah. northern Patagonia, and it is regarded as south the Yosemite of South America. But the difference between the two places is that Yosemite is a national park, and it's massively you know built up. There's hotels, there's restaurants, there's a road going straight through the park, super accessible. Whereas Cochimo retains very much this it's been like the same way for a long long time you know it's there's like it's old dirt track leading up into the valley from the trailhead which is a dirt road which is really only accessible by like a decent car you then take like horses in if you don't walk along this muddy trail into the valley and in the valley there's a campsite a couple of campsites where you can set up a tent there's no like hotels or restaurants or anything you've got to walk in with your own food you know it's it's that sort of place um and you compare you, know, you compare Yosemite and, and this place and Yosemite allows as many people through the gates a day as they want, whereas Cochmo actually limits it to only a certain number of people. Only a certain number of people are actually allowed within the park any one time. So you're saying, you know, the hypocrisy of like us being able to go and do whatever we want. Maybe we won't. Maybe we will be part of that number, you know? So say there are 200 people in at one at one time. Well, that's going to include climbers. Yeah. So we're advocating to protect these places. We're advocating for legislation to to potentially limit numbers at certain times. But we're going to be part of that. I think it's because we go to these places and we experience it, we spend time in nature, and we see the damage that can be done over time that we are the ones that can actually speak up for these places. But these places are only at risk because we've been going and playing in these places. These, yeah. Well, Robbie's point going back to what you said earlier, if you... Make it hard for anyone to do anything outside. People have no appreciation yeah. of nature anyway. And they'll probably think, oh, just bulldoze it and do whatever you want with it because I don't care. So there's a trade-off between let people go and enjoy it so they actually appreciate it and want to conserve it versus if you don't let them do that, they will not care whatsoever. And you end up with, you know, massive cities and no green space. And... I, I don't think there's no hypocrisy. I mean, like... We're advocating, as, as I've just said, you know, we're advocating to protect these places mm-hmm. because we've spent time in these places. So we're trying to protect them for us, but for other people as well and for the future, you know? I don't I don't understand what the hypocrisy is. I can't think of any examples where people advocate climbing somewhere, but then right afterwards would say that you shouldn't go climbing. It seems like very specific. Is there a, an actual example you're thinking of? Or... <clears throat> You tell me that you have not complained about uh, tourists on the like the North Coast Five Hundred uh, roads. I feel like I've not really spent that much time driving around the North Coast Five Hundred to to really know. It's not the way I would appreciate the outdoors, but if that's how other people appreciate the outdoors, I don't really have an issue with it. Like I say, I think if you were, it's more. It seems like there's more people than the environment can handle. Yet we are also one of those people. Yeah. And still are fighting to be one of those people. Cochimo, the example Robbie just gave of them uh, limiting the numbers to whatever you said, like 200 people or whatever, and climbers are going to be part of that. But climbers are part of the crew advocating for protecting that land because it's so beautiful, yet we still want to be part of the people that are still allowed to go there. But if you are actually advocating for protecting that land, then you just shouldn't go there I, I understand that it's beautiful and we should be appreciating nature and all that but if we really want yeah, to protect... you stay a bloody city that seems like a total sit sp- indoors that's like a straw yeah. man argument there's no one that... well, that's why I'm flipping yeah. opposing this <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't do that. Don't criticize me for having too strong an argument here. But it's, it's not like, a strong argument, though. It's a weak argument. It's not a weak argument. I'm asking, do you not see the hypocrisy in advocating for protecting these lands, but still trying to protect ourselves a little space to go and enjoy these lands? No, if you, you really want to protect these places, you just shouldn't go to these places. I mean, why is it it no one is saying that. No, there's no one that's actually saying that opinion. No one is saying, this is a great place to climb, but no one should climb here. That's, I am. Yeah. But you go climbing everywhere. Yes, I'm saying I do it with hypocrisy. But I'm, I'm still going to go to these places. I'm still going to want to go and climb on these places. But I understand that me doing that is having an effect on the environment. But me advertising that to the rest of the world <clears throat> is going to encourage more people to go to that place and, and further impact the environment. Advocating protection does not equal do not do it. They're not the same thing. You can advocate to protect land in the way that we've talked about, where it's about managing people going there, not banning Any management of people going to a place is still going to have a destructive impact. Yeah, that's life. We're not, yeah, exactly. Yes. I know that that's life, but I'm, I'm not asking whether it's right or wrong. I'm asking, do you see the hypocrisy in it? I feel it's like not hypocritical if, if it's like a ticketed system and you're being a part of the ticketed system. It'd be... A, if you have a critical, if you were like, oh, this checkered system's total bullshit. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> it's hypocritical to go back to the Nice thing to say, I should be able to climb here, but these tourists in their cars can get to fuck because <laughs> 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 that, that is I'm pretty sure your words were like quite close to that when we were at Nice. <laughs> to be fair, to go back to that, the reason I got pissed off at Nice comes back to the management thing. I'm not pissed off at tourists doing touristy things. I'm pissed off of tourists launching bin bags out their windows and just leaving. Like the issue I have is the behavior of bad tourists. Like I don't have an issue with people that enjoy things in a different way than I do. I've got a problem with people that have no respect for the outdoor But sometimes commercializing that is a part of fixing it but a lot of the time people are against commercializing wild spaces what does commercializing mean everything uh, yeah putting putting in facilities how do you get to these uh, yeah a road. there's but a road people, yeah but people were very <laughs> against them i'm trying to think of things yeah if there were toilets I mean, I have, zero, like I have zero issue with putting toilets at least. I think yeah. the issue there is like money. Keep, keep wild spaces wild and blah, 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 blah. But, yeah. Keep wild spaces wild, but so should, should, we, yeah. should, we, should we continue? Yes, we should. Um, I think we can all agree that Robert was wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, let's We're just actually looking for a I new... think there's going to be people that understand what the hell I was trying to say there. Let's just get on with the I next question. I'm trying... Uh, yeah. yeah. I think there's people that are going to back me up there. Okay, should we go next question? Next yes. Question. Yours. That's my question. Yeah. So I'm going to change the tone of the conversation from very like environmental, ethical questions. Argumentative. I don't know, this could still be argumentative, but in a more indoor climbing sort of world, I've been going through the process of, I suppose, doing a lot of coaching recently. So delivering sort of coaching courses, so coach education and also coaching climbers and helping them get a bit better and enjoy climbing a bit more and get some more value out of their climbing journey and a lot of that has got me thinking about what what is it that makes someone a what makes someone a good coach and what makes someone a bad coach and can those things be assessed well so what is it that makes someone good at coaching and in an assessment can you concretely say that person is a great coach and that's my question Surely there's so, this number of criteria that you kind of 
individually assessed. There's a number of things that make coaches, you know, good. So the reason I think this is because, <clears throat> so coaching, I think, is a lot about interpersonal skills, right? It's about how you relate to other people and how you communicate with other people. It's part of it. Whereas if you think about other qualifications where you've got to learn quite hard skill-based things like how to do a rope system or navigate in a certain way, we're talking about like outdoor qualifications, whereas they are very easy to say you did that right, you did that wrong and the outcome was fine. But when you're talking about relationships between people, it's a lot harder to say, well, you did that right, you did that wrong. Because people all relate with each other in different, very, very different ways. It's the same with lots of professions though. Yeah. Like, of course, there are still <clears throat> key bits of knowledge that you've got to have, like, I don't know, the triangle, gravity, I can't remember my fun bats. <laughs> That like understanding yeah. the basics of say understanding fundamental base techniques. of support blah 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 yeah. could you be a good climbing coach and not know that though but wait a second yes I, I, what yes. i think it'd be easier if you did know this stuff because i'm studying midwifery you can pass you can get a nursing or midwifery degree and have all those bits of knowledge and still be a rubbish nurse or midwife because you're bad with people you're not going to fail your degree because you're bad with people you might actually um, <laughs> but it'd be it's a harder thing to pick up on yes you can have all of this coaching stuff and you can still be a bad coach but that's a bit silly going back to your midwifery thing like why would you let someone pass a degree if they can't do the thing they're meant to do so they're safe yeah if you're not going to kill people it's a low barrier though isn't it <laughs> and you there that's wrong actually you can't you won't get signed off on certain there's quite a lot so, of like inter, interpersonal stuff but there are people that can be very good because they're really good at reading people and getting on with people they have really good interpersonal skills they have really good social skills but this is far harder to assess and I don't really think it can be fully assessed yeah Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about climbing coaching is coaching in general yeah I mean like I think also it's kind of what you're saying like some people work better with others you know there's different personalities um I think that's also taken into consideration. Some coaches might be better working with young children, whilst others are better working with teenagers. Some people are better working with introverts. Some people are better working with extroverts. So, you know, maybe those personal, interpersonal skills, uh, it all it just changes depending on who you're working with. If you were assessed as a coach and you were great at working with extroverts, but you were given to introverts to coach, would that person then be failed? Well... <clears throat> I think it's having an understanding of how different people perhaps uh, learn. Um, I know that having coached many people over the years, I know that I work well with certain types of people. And uh, I think in certain, there's been a couple, of, a couple of times, particularly working with young people during my time as Scottish team coach, that there were certain kids who I thought, you know what, I think they would work better with a different coach, someone I had in mind. Uh, for a period of time and then maybe I would just have some small bits of uh, you know influence at different times um, or we'd swap swap clients I think it just depends really yeah rubbish sorry what rubbish rubbish what, what rubbish being a good coach can definitely be assessed <clears throat> your 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 question your question is basically, can soft skills, can soft skills that people learn through any kind of coaching qualification or anything, can they be assessed? 
Yes, because coaching, like you said, like you said, is uh, an interpersonal thing. You need to be able to make build relationships with someone, work with them at their level, and develop them from whatever level they are to a next step. No matter what that next step is, it's about being able to link with people and develop them in some way. And the soft skills that go along with that are not just being able to recognize what their weaknesses are, but being able to recognize where your knowledge is and how to tailor your delivery of that knowledge so that it actually is taken in by the person that you're working with. So a good coach can work with anybody introvert extrovert how they learn it doesn't matter they can be employed by absolutely anybody and they'll be able to tailor their delivery and their knowledge to a way that impacts on that person and that can be assessed yeah i would agree but i also think that still some people work better with others and there's relationships absolutely but a good coach can work with anybody I, i actually a coach can a coach can be good at working with certain people and not so good with other people but a really good coach can work with everybody at the same yeah surely that would mean that coach isn't being authentic then because then you're just kind of tailored you're mirroring who's authentic who doesn't put on different faces are you telling me that you talk to a parent in the exact same way you talk to their eight-year-old child i'm not saying that people aren't always authentic i'm saying that i think people that are probably happier in life are authentic more of the time than people who have to put on facades constantly but there's a facade and there's tailoring your delivery. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a different thing. You're not putting on a false representation of yourself. Right? It's just how you're explaining things is yeah. different. I can see Robbie's point of view though. So if you're a coach and you like working with extroverts, surely you're a great coach because you are reflective enough to know yeah. that and you choose to work with those people. And if you're someone who's an introvert, nah, you're like, I actually agree with both of you because I, 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 it's funny, I agree that you can you know be assessed on coaching overall and i believe there are good coaches who can tailor their style to suit an individual but i know firsthand that i've worked with some of like top climbers in scotland who when they were small and i remember like some you know i remember like one specific session with one young climber and it was like it was like i had a few well a few sessions and it was obvious to me they weren't responding yeah you know to me as well as other young climbers I'd worked with. And the question I had at the time was, am I the best coach for this person? And I decided that I didn't think I was at that time. I still wanted to have influence and input on what they were doing. So I sought out a different coach, uh, a friend who I thought would work much better with with this young climber. And they ended up taking them on and they worked for many years had a great uh, relationship with this young climber who has gone on to do some really awesome stuff. I'm yep. not going to say who they are. And I, like, I'm going to say something uh, that was in my head and it's not really related to what you just <coughs> said, but it's going to come across as I'm calling you a bad coach. I'm not. <laughs> but someone, anybody can be a coach. Anybody can call themselves a coach. If you work with someone and try and help them in some way, you are coaching them, whether it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. A, a, a bad coach in air quotes a can only coach one type of person in one type of way and (coughs) at the point where you're not able to coach that person because they're just not connecting with you and you can't tailor your advice to be able to connect with them or you can't tailor your personality to be able to connect with them 
then you need to refer them on to someone who does have the trait that's going to work with them well. But I think but it's whereas, that's a, not. whereas a really good coach can tailor their personality or delivery method or explanations of certain things to connect with anybody of any personality type. And that can be assessed. Like someone can be a, an okay coach, but doesn't really work that well with extroverts. And that's okay. That's, that doesn't mean you're a bad coach. It just means you're not that good at this person. But, but no, a but good you... coach can go, okay, that person's an extrovert. I'm going to completely change how I deliver stuff. But you are person. saying that person's a bad coach. You're saying a better coach than them would be someone that could deliver it's to It's a anyone. spectrum, isn't it? But I, a really good I... coach can get on with most people. Yeah, exactly. Most, yeah. but there's not, it's never going to be everyone. You're never going to be don't perfect. Think it can be, I don't think it can be assessed. Because the assessment come, is like a, a strict criteria. Like, you have to do, uh, this might be wrong actually, but you, like guided discovery. It's all about guided discovery. I bloody hate that guided discovery. It's, no, it's not about uh, that. No, the assessment is, you, the assessment, is, part of the assessment, can you take, like, for the part it's of the, the assessment. the assessor's preferred teaching style. You, you have, you're ticking the boxes of an assessor's preferred teaching style. And if you do the thing, if you knew that well, who your assessor is, and if you do the things that you know that that assessor likes, you get the big gold star, <laughs> right? Okay, there is an element of that. <laughs> but but the, the whole criteria of the assessment for for the part where you're, you know, in the assessment you get given to brand new people to you, and by the end of the session you need to have worked with them and developed them some way. Mm -hmm. The the tick the box exercise there is: can you recognise a weakness that they've got? Can you give them some information that? helps them work on that weakness? Can you develop them in any way? And it doesn't matter whether you do it through guided discovery or just straight up drawing it as a picture on a board. It makes no, no difference. No, you would get told off if you told them if you told them what to do. Not necessarily. There have been people that have been passed at assessments who, by the end of the session, people have been developed. They've got new information. They're so able to demonstrate that they and they were the worst coaches ever. There's been examples. So you would almost say that the assessment didn't work? Yeah, if you've got a bad coach who gets passed. passed, that doesn't make any sense. The assessment didn't work. <laughs> What's a fail in, in coaching? Surely a pass in coaching is someone that comes away from working with you that's better than when they came a in. A pass in coaching says you're a good coach. That's. But what makes a good coach? Exactly, someone can assessed. It can be assessed. Like if if you work with someone that they come away better than when they came in, then you've done a good- What if they came the, away the, better than they came in but they didn't like you? I don't and they care. didn't want to see you again. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. They will once they realise they can now play 9B. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the problem with any skill that you train or assess that is based on working with other people. Like, you can be trained and assessed in a hard skill of, like, how you wire something or how you do something that connects two things. But as soon as you're assessed in your ability to work with other people in some way, you're always going to have that problem of, it's just subjective. There's, yeah, there's an element of subjectivity in working with other humans. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the assessment is, can you work with different people? Can you take your information and deliver it in a way that works with that person, regardless of who they are? Yeah. And, and a, a good coach will get past the assessment <coughs> if they can tailor their information to that certain person. A bad coach isn't going to be able to do that. And they can only ever draw the picture thing. 
Surely yeah. a bad coach is just being authentic, though. If that's what they feel like they are as a person, they're not going to change themselves to deliver. But they might be a really good, good coach, coach for somebody yeah. else. Yeah. So it's just it's about finding the right coach. For just the right because person, you're not, not working well with someone doesn't out. make you a bad coach. Yeah. No, but that's not that's not how you're going to be assessed. Like that's I think you're going to be assessed based on I can you. I just don't think that being able to assess a coach necessarily identifies them. If they could pass an assessment, doesn't necessarily mean they're the best coach. No. You know? It might mean that they could pass the assessment with flying colours, but it might mean they're, you know, uh, a good coach. You know, they can do everything pretty well, but not necessarily, they aren't necessarily the best coach. Whereas you could find someone who might pass the assessment, but they struggle to work with a certain type of individual. But they work really, really, really well with these people. And so when they work with these people, they're phenomenal. And when they get these other people, they're like, well, it doesn't really work out with these individuals. So be much more efficient just to, you know, but get somebody else. you a good coach? I think, I think yeah. it still makes you a good coach. Mm-hmm. You're good at coaching a certain <clears throat> type of person. But yeah. to come back to the I assessment mean, you asked thing, if, you, if you could be assessed at it. Maybe the point of the assessment is they're trying to... So if you're a coach and you don't get to choose... Maybe... The assessors don't think you get to choose who your clients are. So mm. when they pass people, they want to pass people that will do the most good so that it can be the most adaptable yeah. when they're given a random group of people. In the real world, can we choose our clients? Well, this, yes. is, this, is, this, yeah. is, this is it, yeah. No, this is a, this is, Yes, we can. This is the point. I actually think a good coach is someone who can identify when they can't teach this person anymore. That is a very important point. Absolutely. Yeah. But see, I know, a coach sh- in the world. Shut up, shut up, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I know, I know some coaches <laughs> who held on far too long to the young kids that they were coaching because they they didn't want to let go because they'd spent so long coaching. <laughs> Definitely could have worded that better. <laughs> no. Was that? You're gonna get yourself in trouble, Robbie. Am I? This isn't going to the podcast, but that was right. very suspect. You said, <laughs> no. "Oh man, I mean, you could think of anybody." Right? Anyway, sorry. Are we worded? Are we worded? Um, well, don't reword it. No, I get, I get where you're coming from. I, I, I think that you can hold on to uh, coach clients far too long, you know, beyond the point where you really have, you know, much more to to, to coach them. I mean, you can continue to, to mentor them and to support them. But sometimes you're like, you know what? This person needs a more tailored approach. Someone who's got more the, the specialized skills, this person needs to take their climbing to the next level. Maybe... You know they're a boulder, and you've taken them up to the stage where you can take them, but really they need somebody who's a specialist high-end boulder to really nail the specifics. Someone who's got the experience of tactically working hard projects to give them that knowledge and that experience. Okay. Well, oh, I sometimes I kind of disagree with that to be honest. Oh really? Because um, <clears throat> maybe if that's what that person needs, but maybe that person doesn't need that. Maybe they need just a friendly. Face. Well, totally. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like some people don't need that really tailored. Like they. I, I I think you I think you're right and wrong because I think that you're right. Co- coaching is about supporting, and I think that <clears throat> you know just supporting an individual, um, is fine. But sometimes, yeah, you don't have what it takes to give them the knowledge or the the tactics they need to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so you then go right. Well, I can still have input in this person's progression, but you know what? The, the coach john would be really good because coach john knows all about this very specific yeah why don't thing. We, we can ask for some advice from let's get coach john ABRC. involved yeah. yeah 
and it's being able uh, to collaborate with other people. <coughs> they've taken up. They've taken up. They decided they want to take up competition bouldering or competition. Keep going to bouldering. This, um, is, this is a this is a great scenario, but it does not work in the real world. Yes, it does. In a climbing wall, are you kidding if you me? are a coach for a youth oh, squad, employed. if you're employed in the climbing wall, you're a coach for a youth squad, it's the parents and the kids' choice to come to that wall. You don't get a choice which kids come to your session. Maybe they come you, because you're there. Quite possibly. Eh? But are the t- uh, coaches at TCA going to go, right, okay, Ashley, you need some lead climbing coaching. We're going to take you and send you to the GCC youth squad instead of the TCA youth squad. Well, I mean, no, because that would impact on the business and your manager would be freaking raging with you. And if you're a freelance coach, you've got bills to pay. You probably cannot be that picky at the clients that come to you. I was. You're a sponsored I, athlete. You know I know. Time. When I was with a professional climbing coach, I but made Rob, decisions. Robbie's point is that makes him a good coach is when he can say no to clients. Yeah, but I'm saying, I'm saying all the good... time. It's not like, ah, I'm going to be really picky yeah. and only. It's, it's like, usually very... really good at adapting. It's just yeah. that you also have, can realise, oh, I'm, I'm not getting, yeah, not that I'm not getting on very well, but I'm going to need to collaborate with somebody else with. But in my mind, a re- this is going to come across horribly, Robbie, I have to apologise. In my mind, a really good coach can work with anybody that they are given. They can work with anybody, it's but they've got a limit to what they can offer. And Absolutely. it's going to be a limit. I, I have a limit training. to what I can it's... offer. I know that. Then are you just going to hold on to that person? And I'm not going to hold on to them. I will be honest. <laughs> I've reached the limit here, but I don't get the choice of who I work with. If you choose to keep coming to me, but that's a... I have a limit. You have to accept that. But I don't get to make that choice. That's a, I guess that's the difference between what you're talking about. You're talking about like a, a, a youth club that... Yeah, uh, sorry, you're talking about like a group of kids that come in after school to like the youth team or whatever, yeah? yeah? Whereas, you know, maybe I'm talking more about one-to-one personal coaching. So, you know, and and actually, if if the children, if the children be picky over who who comes to them. Well, then I would argue that you're not doing it for the betterment of that climber, but only for your own financial gain. And I'd say that makes a bad coach. They probably also use like three second Instagram stories. Exactly. <laughs> That'd be a great cop out for an assessment, though. Actually, I'm not the best coach for this. You should really phone Robert and get him. It's, to if you're, if for you're me. a freelance coach and you need to work with a certain number of people to be able to pay for your your rent, your car, transport costs, food costs, and all this stuff, you need to work with that number of people. If 20 people come to you and you need 20 people, you can't be picky about who you work with. I'm going to be really but boring again. Like one in tw- you're talking like one in 20. Yeah, exactly. Like you're not talking about every single person. person. Because a really good coach can work with most of those 20 people really exactly. well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's getting over the the idea that coaching is more than just training someone. It's more than teaching skills, but it's also support for that mm. individual. Which He's I feel like counseling. can't be assessed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that can't be assessed. I guess it can I be assessed. It, I think it can, can be assessed because it's still you're 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 taking someone from step stage A to stage B. And it doesn't matter how you get them there. It's stage A, stage B. You are tailoring the way you deliver. You're tailoring the way you explain things. You're potentially tailoring your personality to get that. And if you can demonstrate in an assessment that I have changed how I'm delivering stuff. That is a sign of a good coach. Nah, you've so got of... to have boxes to tick, and if there's boxes to tick, it's not. So what are the boxes? That's how. It, that's an assessment. <clears throat> that is pass or fail. Yeah, but the boxes are way more open than. Do you know how to deliver this X? Do you know how to explain a rockover? 
I just I think it's too subjective to be assessed on. So there's no that's answer here. I, I, I disagree. I think it is. Yeah, we are I think, I think you can assess the subjective side. I think you can. I think, yeah, I think, I think there's elements that you can definitely it, uh, it's assess about, it, for sure. But I mean, I don't think it's uh, you are the best coach is when you are passable. You know, you can do this. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't <laughs> think anybody's <laughs> ever passed an assessment as, like, the top dog. That's like, like yeah, it's well, always well, like you're not a knob. Yeah. And you have some... <laughs> and you have some you have some knowledge on yeah. tech, climbing techniques. Amazing. I, I don't think. Well, I mean, how, I do, think... how do I guess like how do like uh, support workers get assessed? I guess that's the same thing. They don't really get assessed, though, do they? Yeah, they don't get assessed. I think they do like training classes. I guess. Well, they, they, that's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so try to sum this up. So what? Rocket. What makes a great coach? Someone that is able to relate <clears throat> to the people they work with seems to be common yeah and then on the assessment front i think robert says yes and i think from a pragmatic view he's right that coaches are assessed to be able to work with people that are maybe different from men and to adapt their style but i do also agree with robbie that in an ideal world in an assessment if you had people that didn't suit you it would be legit and a great coach to say look like this isn't my bag. These people don't suit me. There's someone else that would be much better. Yeah. I, so think, I think they're assessed to be adequate, not to be great. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. yeah, yeah. But surely that's the point of anything. You're assessed to be able to do the, the job the job, and not necessarily be the best at it. Mm-hmm. Doctors pass. I mean, but I think you're not actually with coaching, great without with, an assessment. With the coaching qualifications, are I mean, there's obviously like skill-based modules in there. But at the end of the day, the assessment, is that not, Mainly, so you can get insured, so you can do the job. Is that, am I am I right about? So you can get insurance for qualifications. Can you? It's a bit harder, a bit more expensive, but you can do it. Right. Okay. I think that I guess the other thing in the qualifications front is anyone that goes to the qualifications would become better just because it's forcing them to be more reflective. Exactly. About yeah. Themselves. Yeah. yeah. I agree with yeah. that. Yeah. Going through that training and assessment will yeah. make you better as a coach, but yeah. as a make you better as a coach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Cool. Yeah. Sounds good. Some disagreement. Yeah. yeah. I'm mainly with Robert. I think yeah. me and me, us three, I think we're mainly against Robert. Yeah. I'm I'm reading the <laughs> development coach assessment criteria just to make sure and I'm 100% right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, right about what? This doesn't have to be in the podcast, but... Right about what? So the... Are we... The, the actual coaching part of the assessment is... Demonstrate a, a basic knowledge of learning styles. Demonstrate the ability to adapt coaching style to meet individual needs. I don't know what yeah, you, you assess that with one cl- <clears throat> with, like if you're, you're given clients. Yeah. How can you assess that once? That's but a you problem. don't assess it once. That's a problem of assessments generally. Yeah. You well, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you don't like in an assessment. You get the clients you've been working with for six weeks. You've already built a rapport with, and you get two random people yeah. to do yeah. to do the random bit with two different people. So you'd hope by the Lots By the end numbers, of it, you've got yeah. a whole picture. That's how it works. And it's being able to adapt your coaching style to the people that you're working Unless you happen to coach two twins and then Assessment. their other two twins turn up as the random clients. And speak to people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Bert, Rue. <laughs> right, do you think that was controversial enough then? I don't know. No, I think we need someone that isn't us yeah i agree argue with yeah kirsty palace was going to be here uh but we organized this way too short notice for her unfortunately she had a really good birthday oh really yeah 
I, I don't want to bring it up because she will be involved in the next one for sure. So, I mean, we could do another one in a couple of months' time. Yeah. Either. Five like, episodes' time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if. Uh, Why don't you guys get punted? So there's four of us, or is yeah. there, we're just adding some of them. Callum. <clears throat> I mean, I'm happy to be punted. I'm just happy to be like a little guest every now and again. You guys all live so close. I don't want to be here. You guys all live so close together. It seems easy. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for coming around and actually being able to do. This is the first controversial podcast we've done face to face. It is, yeah. Every other one we've done over Zoom. So this has been cool having everybody around. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you, Robbie, for joining us again. Callum, you don't get a thank you because you're part of the team anyway. Becca, pleasure as always. Rue, star guest. You didn't make too much noise in the middle of that. Brilliant. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Hope you guys all enjoyed today's Scott Rock podcast on climbing controversies. If there's one thing we all agreed on, though, it's always buddy check. Stay safe out there, guys. <laughs>